can't ignore the need. Countless souls among the peoples of the earth who do not know about Jesus. This is the heart of mission. Missionaries, cross-cultural specialists, pastors, they can all help us answer this season's big question. What small role can I play in God's big world? Thank you for joining us. Grab a cuppa and strap in as we demystify, decode and de-stress the great challenges of cross-cultural mission. Hi, Mark Peterson here, Director of CMS South Australia and Northern Territory. And if you haven't heard the first part of this interview, it could be a good idea to do that now. It's in episode two of this season. And that episode came with a content warning because Maggie outlines some of the awful details of the exploitation of young girls in the city in which she's working. What can be done about this degrading problem? Is it something that distresses you? Do you feel energised to do something about it? Or is it in the too hard basket? I mean, it is a pretty hard issue. In this episode, we're going to hear Maggie's passion for these young women and how she feels convicted to serve them and help them start again. What are Maggie and her organisation doing once the girls have been rescued? What about trauma? Surely there is trauma, especially if they've been deceived by a predator and are not even 100% convinced that they've been lied to. How do the girls go about finding a better profession? Which brings us to the message of hope. Where does Christ fit into this? You'll see that Maggie shines for him through the way God has gifted her. But she's also determined for the girls to hear the gospel of Christ. And as you're listening to this episode, why not have a think about the ways in which God has gifted you? Has he put a burden on your heart that he might be waiting for you to explore? Without further ado, let's get into it. Last time we had you with us for sort of part one in the way in which the Lord brought you to faith and in a sense sent you out to the mission field. We also had a look at the very difficult situation, particularly focusing on the exploitation of young girls. It's great to have you back with us, Maggie. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mark. So I guess, yeah, bouncing off what we talked about last time, Surely when you went to do this role that you're in, you knew about this exploitation because that's what the organisation was doing. You, you knew about, you know, how awful it is that we still have modern-day slavery and yet you still went ahead to go and do that job. What was it that took you? Why? Why do that? Oh, <laughs> um, well, I think for many years uh, and... Uh, the years that I spent in Africa, I'd been working with very vulnerable children and vulnerable families, wanting to help families and children and make a difference with them and, and trying to help them uh, get out of often what seemed like impossible situations and bring hope and a fresh start to them just physically and emotionally but also spiritually and uh, really wanting to make a difference. An opportunity came up 
And, you know, there's still big struggles. The the government are very keen to promote their anti-trafficking work and to really get on top of this problem um, so that their young people are not being plagued by this uh, dreadful business, particularly during COVID, which has really seen a bit of an uptick in some specific areas and online areas of exploitation, it seemed like a really good opportunity to be able to work alongside of the government and support them in their efforts to make a difference in people's lives and to, uh, I guess, be open to what God might do through that as well. It is a very big problem, isn't it? There's a lot of work to do. And in some ways that's challenging, isn't it? Because where do you start? What do you do? How do you respond to this work? Uh, Can you fix it? What's the first step? And so I know that the police are involved in arresting and convicting, but then really how do we actually work with the girls? Do you want to just tell us, you know, what's all this look like? We're at the point where we have what we call an assessment centre and uh, the police work alongside of and with some other organisations who support them in that work and A girl uh, will get uh, rescued from a brothel or from an exploitative situation uh, of some sort. The police will then refer that child to the Ministry of Social Welfare. From that point, uh, they get in contact with us as one of the very few organisations working with girls like this and refer the girl to us. And we have basically a bit of a one-stop shop approach where we provide pretty much every service that that girl needs to be restored from some you know, they're often very dreadful experiences that I've been through. So we have a whole range of different services. Uh, we have a multi-talented team who uh, who work together to welcome that girl in. They're often very traumatised, um, very upset when they first come to us, um, very jangled about being uh, removed from their, what they see as their workplace and their income source sitting down with that girl and working out, you know, what on earth led her to end up in that place and where can we start to help restore her life and get her back to some semblance uh, of whatever the new normal will be since uh, she's been through all of that. So we have a variety of services. A lot of them initially are assessing where she at psychologically from the level of trauma that she's experienced. Uh, We deal with all the health issues that come out of that and some of those are pretty grim and need a lot of care and support and sometimes hospitalisation. We assess her legal position and uh, connect again with the police and the referral partners to work out is there somehow we can work together with the courts and bring justice for this girl and her family. And, of course, you know, these are kids. They need food, they need shelter, they need clothing, they need all the things that kids need. They need some playtime and just to be kids again and, and learn how to laugh and, and be silly again and, and just enjoy some childhood. They need to uh, look at education and, and see, right, has this girl ever been to school or has she dropped out of school very early? Is she literate? Can we work with her and, and in, maybe engage her again with education and learning uh, or are there particular skills she wants to learn? So all of these different areas need to be looked at for that girl to holistically um, recover from that process. And, uh, I mean, we we talk about the girl needing to be with us for a minimum of at least three to three months but that often looks like four or five or sometimes a bit more depending on her level of trauma and the care and counselling that she'll need to overcome all of that. 
And whilst we're doing all of that, we're also looking and making contact with her family, discussing with them what happened. You know, where did the wheels fall off, basically? Um, You know, how did they end up being in such a vulnerable situation that they ended up either allowing their girl or unknowingly allowing their girl to go into that sort of exploitation? And how can we address some of those very core push factors, which are often financial? You know, we're dealing with extremely poor and vulnerable families who, uh, especially during COVID, lost their business, lost their farm, lost their market possibilities, and really have been very desperate. And uh, and that's led them into... Um, allowing their girls or selling their girls into some sort of trafficking or exploitation. So how can we work with that family and help them be able to change and re-establish themselves? And also there's the protective side of protecting the other siblings uh, who, who will also be protected by that as well as trying to get this girl home and back to her family and restored back to her family. So there's a whole lot of stuff um, that needs to happen, working with both the girl and her family in all of that. That is a massive list, isn't it? So much (laughs) to do. Um, Did I hear you right at the beginning of your answer that sometimes the girl isn't actually that excited about being rescued, inverted commas? Is there a process for the girl as well in in coming to terms with what has happened and, and how do you nurture her during that? Mm. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question and it's a really hard one to answer. The girls, particularly the girls who've been groomed online, they believe that they have a boyfriend and get most upset if you call them a, uh, a perpetrator or a trafficker or a broker. They believe that they have, you know, matched up with the love of their lives and they cannot see beyond the fact that actually they are one of many (laughs) girlfriends of this uh, person and that the relationship they're in is not a healthy one at all and is actually very exploitative and abusive. And it takes often a long time of working with that girl to help her understand that actually, you know, sadly she has been taken advantage of and uh, has got into a very bad place that can be quite a process for the girls to actually admit that. Again, it's very shameful and in the culture it's very difficult to admit that, you know, maybe they made a a poor choice or, you know, a naive choice that has now ended up in a bit of a mess. So, yeah, that's uh, a tough one. Mm. So I guess you're always kind of looking forward, like where are things going to go for this young person? Do they have a future? And uh, in some ways you're at a critical point, aren't you, in trying to help them from having been rescued from a very difficult future, which presumably would just go down and down. What are the next steps? So I guess you mentioned before family, you know, is it ever possible for them to be reunited to family? What about those who are too old, they can't, you know, it just wouldn't work to go back to family. Tell us about what you guys do. Um, Well, I guess at heart we very strongly believe and we very strongly promote uh, the government's plan as well to reunite children back home with family wherever possible. That's always the first option. Um, uh, We do not promote institutional care or orphanage care. We always want to get children back home to their family wherever possible. So we would always explore that and sometimes 
sometimes that means that we are dealing with families who initially are very reluctant maybe to have their daughter home again after all they've been through or they might just feel that they're so poor and so desperate that the girl is better off with us. We try and uh, fight against that as best we can and say actually we want to support you as a family to strengthen and grow because the best place for your daughter is actually with you. So wherever possible we work towards that. Maybe that means the girl goes home and goes back to school. Maybe that means the girl goes home but sets up a little business at home or from home or maybe in the same village uh, and we can help her become independent in a little business. Other girls have uh, gone beyond that. Um, Either we can't find family or the family are just not in a position to be able to welcome that girl back home. Or presumably, sorry to interrupt, mm. but there there presumably would also be families where they're not actually going to be supportive in a sense they've, they've... been part of mm. the problem. Yes, yeah, yes, they've been part of the problem um, or it's a situation where it's almost like a family tradition to send their girls into exploitation. For those girls, we would encourage them and we, we do a, a sort of a, a special, we've got a special little program uh, that we call their dream board <laughs> and they look to the future and what's their dream, where, where would they love to be in one year, two years, five years' time? What sort of work would they love to do? Do they have any skills that they can bring to the table that we can build on? Do they have a particular professional area that they'd like to go into? Now, of course, um, you know, we're talking about girls who some of them have dropped out of school very early. So, uh, you know, that can sometimes be fairly modest, but it might be running a little business. It might be... um, doing a basic hairdressing and beauty therapy course. It might be uh, learning how to be a barista in a coffee shop or doing a tailoring course and learning how to uh, set up a little tailoring business. Whatever might work for that particular girl and uh, maybe pique her interest in, in something that can give her employment, independence and especially safety. Um, where she can get safe employment and not fall back into re-exploitation. And so whatever the girls end up choosing, we would always, uh, once they've followed (laughs) that dream, uh, we would always continue to follow up with those girls uh, in the long term and keep on visiting with them, keep on following them up and making sure that they, wherever possible, can remain in a safe space and keep on with their employment and that their family is supported so that that's a long-term solution and and not just a Band-Aid. Our hope, of course, also is that in this ministry there are opportunities for gospel sharing, that there is a a way for these girls to hear about the message of hope and, and through the message of Jesus. And we were looking, we were thinking in the last episode about some of the some of the um, sensitivities, the way you have to be gentle in the way in which you do this. This is a Buddhist majority country and the majority of your staff team are Buddhist as well. But there are nevertheless ways that you can uh, testify to Jesus in this context. Do you want to tell us about some of the, some of the things that are helpful in this space? Yes, I mean, as you've just said, uh, you know, working in a 90% plus Buddhist culture, we have to be really careful um, how we do that. A number of our staff are Christians and uh, in the normal course of conversation, uh, if the girls ask questions about who, who is this Jesus, what's this Christian stuff all about, they're able to answer from their own experience and, um, 
and explain to the girls any uh, any questions that they might have. There are also uh, many public holidays and uh, we take the opportunity of uh, celebrating those uh, with the girls and uh, using them. Uh, for example, at Christmas time, the girls will say, oh, What's, what's Christmas all about? You know, what does, tell me what the star means at Christmas time or why, why do Christians give each other presents and uh, who, who is this Jesus anyway? You know, what, tell us about the story of how that all happened. So we have opportunity to answer their questions and respond to that. Um, and, of course, the Christian church has uh, translated uh, the, the, the gospel and that's freely available in the Bible Society and other uh, bookshops. So we make sure that we've always got a little section in our library uh, with uh, both children's and adult Bibles, and uh, we're very happy if those uh, grow legs (laughs) and walk (laughs) out the door with the girls and that they pick them up and read them, and sometimes the girls will read and ask staff questions. It's up to them. We don't know what God will do with his word, but uh, as long as it keeps going out the door, we're happy. (laughs) Just like the Gideon's Bible uh, that you picked up and told us about in the last episode. Yes, absolutely. Indeed. (laughs) And I guess, you know, the compassion of Christ and his love, you know, it shapes any Christian, doesn't it? And so um, as you're working, as you're choosing a job to do, whether it's to work as an overseas worker or whether it's to work in a place like where where you're working or whatever job it is, in a sense, we want to share that that love of Christ just by the way we act and the way we care for people. And I, I would assume that that same sort of thing would rub off on people, on the girls from the, the people in your team, I, I guess, as they're seeking to witness in, a, in an appropriate way. Yes, I mean, I, I guess we're always wanting to stand for what is right, what is true, um, how, to, how do you role model integrity, how do you role model trust, how do you build up those values um, that are keenly sought after and yet seem so elusive often um, in the places uh, where I've worked. So, um, so I think it's trying to build that up, and I think one of one of the things I see as my role is training up our senior management team and and helping them to role model those values and to really be challenged about what that means um, to stand firm in those values. I guess in in all sorts of different little ways, you want to be that example and uh, and God willing, that also can provoke sometimes conversations or opportunities to pray for people and to talk about your own faith. Mm. Now, last time we did talk about your faith background, we actually skipped over why you became a missionary, why you went overseas. We often use the term uh, pray, care, give, go. Thinking about Go, you know, what was that for you and what, what's kind of taken you to the overseas contexts? Oh, um, well, actually, <laughs> I'll blame it all on a CMS conference. <laughs> yeah. I went to a conference and uh, someone up the front said, uh, just basically asked the crowd, of which I was one, what reason are you giving to God for why you can't go? And that was a completely back the front question for me, and I it just I was dumbstruck, difficult to imagine, <laughs> but I just thought I really thought about that question, and I thought, you know what, try as I might, I can't come up with a good enough reason to give to God for why I couldn't go. I was uh, 
single available <laughs> and um, and I had skills that I could use and I had a faith to share what other reason could I give to God for not going and I, I couldn't come up with an answer. So in the end I thought, well, Lord, if that's... If that's what you want me to do, you better open up the door. <laughs> and uh, yes, he did. <laughs> but um, but yes, I think we all need to ask ourselves that question. You know what what are the what are the reasons we're giving to God for not going? Uh, is is often that's a hard question to answer. But I think we need to all think that through in our own context and in our own lives. Mm. Again, in the in the last episode, we we looked at uh, what are the specific opportunities that people could look at, and if God had placed that the the burdens on their heart. But what about now partnering from a distance, the global church and me? And I think, okay, what's my connection? Well, Maggie, to be honest, it's you at the moment. You're my connection with the church. So for me, it's pray, care, give. And um, I wonder if you could just comment for a, for a few minutes on what that means for you in a in a mission context, uh, to know that there are those who pray and care and give to enable you to be there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things that people say to me, um, people who, particularly those who have linked in with my regular monthly prayer points and things, they they often will say to me, oh, it's such an encouragement to be praying because we see God at work. So for their own faith, they really feel like their own faith is built up as much as uh, it is in the answering of the prayers. So, uh, of course, at my end, I'm delighted when people pray uh, and we see God at work uh, answering our prayers. Um, But I think also for the individuals who pray to see God at work in a context on the other side of the world, um, making things happen uh, is pretty phenomenal. So I think, uh, you know, from a personal point of view, um, prayer is is just so vital for us uh, as mission partners. It's often lonely and isolated work uh, in, you know, tough situations uh, to know that there are people faithfully praying back here for us while we're kind of over there uh, is, is just such an encouragement. And, uh, yeah, again, the care that I receive through emails and contacts and, and people just keeping in touch, uh, even if it's not that often, but just reminding me uh, at different times that uh, they're caring, um, that they're supporting the work, that they're, they're giving to CMS and making sure all those needs are met, um, that is a very special thing and, uh, you know, for people who feel that they're not in a position to be able to go, they can certainly do all of those other things and be supporting World Mission. Well, it has been absolutely wonderful hearing from you again, Maggie. I feel through your work that I, through the partnership that we have as Christians with Mission, I feel that I'm involved in this work of, uh, I guess, responding to um, exploitation of girls. It's a, it's a, it's an awful thing to hear about, but it's also something that I feel powerless about here in Adelaide, except for the fact that I know there's good work going on there, and I can pray for you and and do whatever I can to support you. And and I, I guess I'm encouraging our listeners to to take the same sort of approach, to be thinking how can I get involved in what's happening in different parts of the world. Uh, well, often you can't be everywhere at once, and you can't do everything. But in this great gospel partnership that we have with Mission, we actually are involved. We are all connected. It reminds me, actually, uh, many, many years ago, uh, I think it was Mother Teresa, but I'm not sure, said, do what you can, not what you can't. (laughs) And I think 
when it comes to looking at huge, big problems that seem too big and too hard, yeah, we can't do everything, but we can do something. Uh, And maybe for you, that's going, maybe it's not going, but maybe you can pray or maybe you can care, maybe you can give, you can do something. (laughs) So do what you can, not what you can't. (laughs) Maggie's a great encouragement, isn't she? I've been so looking forward to sharing that interview with you. She's one of those extraordinary people who connects with others of all ages and circumstances. After all, who doesn't want to see girls gently and lovingly restored after experiencing the horrors of exploitation? But you can probably also get a sense of Maggie's heart to make Jesus known as well. She's flat out busy, but in amongst it all, Maggie is constantly praying for and seeking ways to see the light of Christ shine in dark places, not just through a temporal earthly restoration, important as it is, but also through a spiritually transformative, lasting salvation. Will you join with me in praying for Maggie regularly? You can receive her regular monthly partnership updates to inform your prayers, or you can support her financially by searching CMS SANT and clicking on Partner with Missionaries. Well, next episode, we're meeting someone called M. No, not a character from James Bond, but that is what we're going to call him. He's living with his wife and kids in South Asia using his skills in the area of water engineering to give him opportunities to grow relationships and share Christ in a part of the world with great need, not only need in the area of supplying clean water and getting rid of the stinky stuff, but also great need for the gospel of hope and life through Jesus. I can't wait for you to meet M and hear a bit more of his extraordinary story. Stay tuned. And to find out more about CMS, search for us on the web to find your local branch info and local social media channels. We work with churches to set apart, equip and support long-term workers who cross cultures to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For a world that knows Jesus. See you next time.